Good morning. My name is Anna Curtis, and this morning our scripture reading is from the book of Revelation. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, from the New International Version. So, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons of, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, then I looked and heard the voices of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands, thousand times ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, glad to be with you all. We are in uh, the sermon series in Revelation called Endgame. And the title of today's sermon is Sacrifice. I, uh, as I was reading, studying the chapter this week and last and uh, listening to Anna read it again, I realized there's just so many uh, just cryptic words, you know, phrases. It, it's almost like Hollywood uh, can just take it straight from the book and make a movie. You know, it's got seven spirits and horns and seven eyes and some golden bowl and Four creatures, and they're living creatures and not dead ones. And it's just such a weird thing in the book of Revelation. And uh, a lot of the Bible sort of takes on this kind of flavor. And I think uh, some of the temptation uh, for us who are studying the book is to read it 
and try to decode it and decrypt it and believing that there is some kind of hidden message or hidden truth or hidden wisdom or prophecy about the future. And it's this kind of esoteric knowledge that we are uh, sort of tempted to seek out. And we get into this sort of investigative mode. And now with Google, I mean, who knows what we can figure out and put together. You know, maybe the world's going to end tomorrow, and here's how it's going to end. And if you are here at this time, you can be safe. You know, you can make money off of this. It's just sort of, uh, it almost, I have to acknowledge that there is a temptation to do that. But I think partly uh, the reason we are tempted actually speaks to something. I think there's something in us that wants to be independent of God something that wants to stay ahead of God and actually have some knowledge that we are trusting more than God himself. And so I think some of that curiosity and endeavor comes from that sort of more uh, devious place. It's not as innocent as it looks. And I think on a maybe emotional and uh, psychological level, we are tempted to get into that, shift into that gear because a part of us is avoiding the more fundamental truth that doesn't need to be decoded. And it's sort of glaring at us, presenting itself to us. And I would say that, you know, going down that other path is a way to not really deal with that. And so I want to invite you to, yes, open up your minds. But I also want you to open up your heart and open up your life today as we talk about the meal that I think is before us, that other stuff, you know, if you're just curious, you just want to snack a little bit, that's fine. Go for it. But if you snack too much, you're going to, you know, spoil your appetite for the real meal, which I think is about this idea of sacrifice. So um, let's uh, study that together today. It begins with this idea of who is worthy? This is the main question in verse 2. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Last week we talked about this idea of worthy. Hopefully we established that this idea of worthy really is a thing. That you and I are drawn to things that are worthy. And even in our common you know, culture, we have words like self-worth. That's important. We understand uh, and are drawn to this idea. We are after it. You know, whether you are stargazing in Hollywood or whether you uh, are after money or fame or power, these are all sort of specifics around this general larger idea of worthy. And we ask this question today, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? And John is sort of feeling this question, who is worthy? And he looks over the face of the earth in his vision, and he sees that not one is worthy. There's no one who is worthy, and for some reason it makes him deeply sad and grieved, and he's devastated. He's broken open with sadness that no one, there's not one single human being who is worthy to open this scroll and break its seven seals. Right? Who's worthy? That's the question. And then we have an answer in verse 9. Referring to Jesus, 
He says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And here's the reason. Here is the reason that Jesus and only Jesus, nobody else on the face of the earth, in all of history and all of the future that is yet to come, is worthy. And it's only Jesus. Here's the reason. Here is how worthiness is obtained. How it happens. Because you were slain. That's the reason. You were slain. And with your blood, you were purchased. Because, and only because he was slain, he was made worthy. Jesus, there's a bit of a hint at an incarnational theology coming through here. Incarnational meaning that God took on flesh. Scriptures teach us that Jesus, although he was God, became fully human. That's not something that I understand very crisply. I don't think anyone does. But that's what the scriptures maintain, that Jesus was fully man And as a full-on human being, he walked a certain kind of path. There is a way that he lived his life that we are also invited to walk and live. Verse 12 and 13 speak a little bit more, begins to unpack this big idea. Verse 12, worthy, that word again, is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And again in verse 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the big question is, why is it a lamb at the center of the throne? If you remember the passage that Anna read for us, it was supposed to be the lion of Judah, And so the end picture has the lion. And that's sort of the idea of worthy that we're used to, you know. A lion is powerful and strong, and it's sort of the king of all kings. The the most fierce creature, right? The king of the jungle is the lion. But the way that Jesus becomes the lion through this incarnational pathway is by first being the lamb. A lamb, as you probably can guess, there's something, something intrinsic about the personality or the nature of the lamb. There's a trait about the lamb. It's, it has no fight. In a, the, the lamb has no fight. It's different from the lion in that sense. You think about the lion, a lion fights and wins every fight. But a, a lamb? You don't hear about lambs fighting. A lamb is a weak creature. It's a meek creature. It has no power. It has no ability to resist. It's simply led. And not only is it, it's, it's not even a sheep. It's the lamb. It's, it's a baby. There's something so vulnerable and small about the lamb. And the scripture says, to be the lion, somehow you have to first Be the lamb. And so here we have Jesus who is worthy and he alone is worthy. But to become worthy like a lion, 
He had to be made worthy through the journey of being the lamb. If you want to believe in uh, crazy, if you want to sort of tease out crazy ideas, this is the crazy idea right here. It's the ultimate paradox of Christianity. And this truth, this paradoxical truth, is what separates Christianity from other religions. If you look up the word uh, paradox in the, the dictionary, it defines it this way. Something that seems contrary to common sense, but is true. And here's the paradoxical truth. You ready? Christianity is a religion about suffering. Christianity is a religion about sacrifice. About the lion who first has to be the lamb. There's no other religion that invites its followers to suffer and to suffer well. There's no other religion that invites its followers to first be the lamb so that you can be the lion. And this is the hard downward turn, the hard left turn in Christian faith that the Bible presents as normative for what life is. The life that we are called to live is the same life that Jesus himself lived to be made worthy. That in order to be the lion, you have to first be the lamb. In order to be strong, you have to first be weak. In order to live, you have to first die. In order to see, you have to come to that humble, humiliating place where you claim, I cannot see. I do not see. I don't know how to see. And then and only then, when you own your blindness, then does God open your eyes so that you can see. If you want to be found, you have to first confess that you are lost, that you have been lost, and that you don't know how to find your own way. That's the journey of the Christian faith. This is the paradox, the way of the cross, that to get to glory, you have to walk through shame. To get to innocence and vindication, you have to walk through guilt. It doesn't sell very well. But that's the Christian faith. And I think if you are honest with yourself, you understand that such is life. To live life well is to learn how to suffer well. You cannot live well if you do not suffer well. We want so much for life to be just up and to the right. And the Bible agrees with you. Life is ultimately up and to the right. But it takes some really hard downward turns in process. Do you accept this? Do you see that this is true? And then verse 14, we have this word, amen. This word, amen, means so be it. It means so it is. It means may it be so. This is the journey of life. You start by the end, with the end goal. The end game is lion on the throne. And then you take a few steps back. Okay, where am I? 
Oh no, I'm just a lamb. That's what it is. That's how it is. May it be so. So it is. So be it. This is my life. This is your life. This is world history. This is a pattern in the world. So I don't think I have to convince you that this is true, but let's, let's really add some meat to this. Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says this. Jesus increased in wisdom. We have very few words on Jesus as a boy. You know, we don't know much about the childhood of Jesus. But this little curious sentence tells me, sort of, I scratch my head at this. Do you know, Jesus wasn't born knowing everything. Like he's fully God. But there's a kind of suppression of his full, the fullness of his divinity when he's a child. Like he, Jesus didn't, wasn't born knowing that A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You know, he didn't know that, that how many galaxies there are in the universe. He didn't know what the purpose of the appendix is. You know, he wasn't born knowing who killed JFK. Like, there are mysteries in the universe that he did not know. But he increased in wisdom. Meaning there was a pathway. There was a kind of journey for him. He wasn't bulletproof. He was quite vulnerable. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Speaking similarly says, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. What do you mean he learned obedience? Some of it could mean that he learned the experience of obedience, that obedience requires suffering, that as a human being, there is a nature to humanity that requires suffering in order to obey, that discipline is hard. The Bible clearly teaches he never sinned. You know, he didn't have that rebellious teenage years where he sort of yelled at dad, I hate you, and slammed the door. He didn't have that. But if he did, there was, there was a sinlessness in it. But he did learn about what obedience requires out of him, is how I interpret this. And then, this next Hebrews passage is so good. Chapter 2, verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. The word perfect here doesn't mean like perfectionism, the way we think about it, it's the word complete. There is a wholeness that he came to. That Jesus, although he was fully God, was born into a suppressed version of divinity in his human clothing. And then as he grew and through the journey of life, and as he became the Lamb of God on his way to becoming the Lion of Judah, was somehow made whole or complete he came fully into his divinity that already was, but came fully into it through suffering. And I don't want you to miss the point of this. He was a pioneer, meaning 
He went first. If there's a first, what does that mean? There is a second. If there's a second, what does that mean? There's a third. There's a fourth. He was a template for all, all else to come after him. Meaning, if Jesus was made whole, complete, if he reached his fullness through suffering, you and I, we are going to reach our fullness through suffering. That's our salvation to be made complete. And it's not going to be different than what he went through. It's going to be exactly the same pattern. It's not going to be the exact same thing, but it's the exact same pattern. And not only us, but notice what the author put in there parenthetically. For whom and through whom everything exists. Meaning, all of creation, everything created is groaning and moaning for the children of God to come into their full glory, scriptures teach. Meaning, everything is going to experience this pattern. All of creation is under suppression right now. We are not whole. Nothing is complete. Everything is going to have to first experience the shedding of blood, the pain of suffering, and through it, we're going to be made whole. That is salvation. And it is fitting that God should do it. Meaning, so be it. Amen. May it be so. In bringing many sons and daughters into our full glory, Jesus had to suffer and die, not because he's trying to keep us from it, but so that we can walk through it with him after him. Suffering is normal. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Why are you surprised? This is normal. This is the pattern, the template. Jesus did it. The lamb before the lion. Shame before glory. The unbearable lightness of being before you get to experience the full weight of who you are as daughters and sons of God. All of you have suffered and all of you will continue to suffer till your dying breath you will suffer because God loves you, because God wants to bring you into glory. This is what life is. Living life well is not figuring out how to avoid pain, but it's being made strong, full of character and grace inside so that you know how to endure pain well. God is not after the avoidance of pain in your life. That's not what he's tracking. So many of our prayers, so many of our wishes and hopes and daily goals are to avoid pain. We so want it to be done and over with. And God says, I have the opposite plan for you. I want to show you how to trust me in the midst of pain and trouble and confusion. I want to show you how to look to me. I want you to know that you are loved 
And the only way for you to know that is to really have only that to cling to. I'm going to strip you so that I can clothe you. I'm going to empty you so that I can fill you. I'm going to disempower you so that I can empower you. This is the plan and purpose of God in your life. Ask not to remove suffering from your life, but ask him to help you and to teach you how to suffer well. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this, To this you were called. That's it. To this you were called. You were called to this. This is God's purpose for you. Do you want to know what the meaning of life is? Suffering well. You know what you should major in college? Suffering well. You know what you're going to learn through your workplace? Suffering well. You know what you're going to learn through having a family? Suffering well. You know what you're going to learn? As you move through all the stages of life, as your body begins to fail you, as you begin to lose as you begin to gain, as you go through whatever God has for you, the primary lesson at the end of it all is this, because to this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's why when people ask the question, if God is good, how come bad things happen? God's going, oh, I wish they would stop asking me that. That's the wrong question. That's not the question. How can a good God let good, bad things happen? Ah, that's not the question. I know that's, that's a sort of an unfair sideways take on it. I think it is a fair question, but gosh, I think God wants us to get us to a place where we ask another question. I think a better question, a deeper question. God, how can I walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death? If we are going to grow, if we are going to experience gain, if we are going to mature, if, we're going to, if we are going to level up as people, if we're going to have these epiphanies and breakthroughs, then it's going to require pain. Is it possible for there to be gain without pain? I mean, this feels like such a fundamental truth. Somebody should coin a phrase about it. Here it is. Some of you uh, uh, need pictures. So we start out here, and we want to get to there, but we have to go through here. We go from this, and we want to wear that, but first we have to wear the crown of thorns. And this season of your existence as an eternal creature, where we have to wear this crown, that's what we call life. That's the season we're all in. We get 50, 60, 70, 80 
90 years to do that. That's how long that season is. And in this season, we are called to do that well, to wear that well, to figure out why we have to wear it, why life is that way, and to figure out how to do it well, to walk with each other through it. That's what you and I call life. This short little season, just a few decades. And on the other side of this so-called life, we have glory. But here is really the, the gospel story for us. Our suffering, the pain we go through, it doesn't lead us to death. It leads us to life. You know why? Because Hebrews 2.9. But we do see Jesus now crowned with glory and honor because what? He suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He lived the life you and I are called to live, but he died the death you and I should have died. You and I, we are not called to suffer unto death, but suffer unto life. He tasted death for everyone, and that's the grace of God, that God sacrificed his son to die for you and I, that for Jesus, suffering meant death, but for you and me, suffering means death. Life. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is why we can say this is life. And I can preach like this and you still feel uplifted because at the end we see the, la the lamb was the one who was sacrificed. It was the blood of the lamb. It wasn't Peter's blood. It wasn't your blood. It was God's blood. He died so that you and I could live. And this truth, if you really understand it and internalize it, it begins to take over all the cells in your body, then this happens. In Revelations 19, chapter 19 and 22, twice, John, as he understands, comes to grips with the gospel. That somehow the lion becomes the lamb and that you and I are spared death. His knees begin to buckle automatically. And it wasn't even Jesus. It was the angel delivering the message. And the angel says, it says this, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. Worship God. You understand what's happening? Why does God demand worship from us? Why does God want his creatures to worship him? It's not because he's insecure. It's not because he's got a big fat ego. That's not why he created us, so that we can be his fan base. God wants worship from us because he is the God of truth. And truthfully, when we see who he is and what he has done for us and the life he promises us, automatically, with every reason and logic we have, we come to the recognition, the conclusion, our investigative work, and finally end, and we can say, he is worthy. He alone is worthy. You with John can look over the face of the earth and say, no one is worthy except the lamb. Jesus truly is worthy. And you begin to 
bow the knee. When the scriptures talk about every knee shall bow, that's not by force. That's not by fear. That's not coercion. But that's truth. That's choice. That's helplessness. Our knees are going to buckle all on their own at the weight of truth that Jesus is worthy of worship, that he deserves to sit on the throne. That's what the world is going to finally behold. The knowledge of this truth will cover the surface of the earth the way the waters cover the seas. And we will worship. We will not be tempted to worship any idol ever again. We will have full knowledge. He is worthy. As we conclude, I want to invite you to recite verbally out loud this passage from Philippians 2. And then we will pray. Ready? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we do not want to be consumers and Americans who are trying to avoid pain at all costs. We will not shield ourselves obsessively, directing all our resources emotionally, mentally, financially to try to avoid the path, the pattern that Jesus walked for us. But rather, God, show us how to suffer well, that we might be made complete, that we might be worthy of the weight of glory that you have created us to be. We thank you and we praise you for the pattern that is set before us. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us so that we are spared death. And we recognize you as truly the only one who is worthy and we worship you today. And all the days of our life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.